welcome you today to the last week of our Live Like No One Else series. I want to say a special welcome to those of you who are joining us online and those of you who are joining us via our video service. We are in the, at the end of a three-week series on money, and we have been talking about the reality that normal in our society as it pertains to personal finances is not working. That's why it's called Live Like No One Else. And the reason that we've said that is there's this incredible quote from financial guru Dave Ramsey, author of multiple books on personal finances. He says, if we will live like no one else does now, we will be able to live like no one else can later. That if we will delay gratification, if we will work in cooperation with God, with biblical principles, we can, inex- we can experience a life unlike anybody else is able to with personal finances. See, normal leads to problems in marriage. It's a lack of peace in our finances. It's arguments over money. Normal is in debt beyond our means and and overwhelmed with financial problems. So today we want to drill down into the last of the three components that we're talking about in this series. The first week we said this, that there are only three things that we can do with money. And maybe you'll remember them. The first thing that we can do with money is that we can give it away. The second thing that we can do with money is we can save it or we can invest it. And today we're going to talk about the third thing that we can do with money, which is spending it. And that's a whole lot more fun than giving it and saving it. At least it feels like that at times. And there are a lot of questions that I struggle with about finance after I've given and after I've saved. In fact, I've heard this incredible benchmark plan for personal finance, that if we will give 10% of our income back to God off the top, invest 10% into savings or to some account that will bear interest and and be fruitful later, then the rest of the 80%, we have freedom to figure out what to do with it. How do we spend it? But still, there are the realities of life, even within the necessities of housing and food and clothing. We have to make a lot of decisions, like do I move into this house or that house? Do I buy this car or do I buy that car? Or do I move into the house Or do I buy the car? Or do I send the kids to public school, to private school, or homeschool? Or do I date this girl or that girl? Or where do I take that girl when I decide to date her? Because she's like a $100 date and she's like a $50 date. And I don't know how you would determine what level of date she is, but what do I do with the money that I have? Or do I go on this vacation or that vacation? Or, Or do I get my hair cut at this place or that place? Yesterday, I got my hair cut at that place. And you look at me and you think, it looks great. Everything's fine until you turn around and you see the back. And there's a little line that kind of goes diagonally (laughs) down my head. I'm sitting there in the chair at that place, getting my hair cut, thinking to myself, it feels like he's going awfully high up my neck. I got home and Stacy starts laughing at it. I'm like, yeah. So the first thought that ran through my mind, it has nothing to do with my message, but was, man, this guy's soul is way more important than my neckline. And then the second thought that went through my mind is I will never let him cut my hair again. (laughs) But lots of questions surrounding our personal finances. What do we do with that 80% that is left at our disposal? Well, unfortunately, I'm not going to give you a direct answer to all of those questions. In fact, I might even make it a little bit more difficult for you. But I want to give you a value system, a biblical paradigm through which you can see the rest of your money. 
That after you've given and after you've invested, what is the lens through which you see the rest of the money that is in your hands and how you spend it? We're going to look at an incredible sermon given by Jesus himself found in the book of Matthew in the New Testament, chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Jesus is speaking to a large group of people. In fact, it's the most famous sermon he ever delivered, maybe even the most famous sermon in all of human history. And in the middle of this sermon where Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, he drills down into a proper lens or a proper view of personal finances. And Jesus will make some life-altering, paradigm-shifting statements in these five verses that if we will receive them and if we will apply them to our lives can lead to tremendous peace and tremendous joy in our finances. Listen to what Jesus says in verse number 19. He says, do not... Store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves can break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves cannot break in and destroy. Now, is Jesus saying that we should not save money? That if we save money, that's a bad thing? I don't think that that is at all what Jesus is saying. In fact, if you look at the context of scripture, there are a lot of verses about the importance of saving. I think that Jesus is saying that eternity matters most with personal finances. That when you get to the end of this life, it doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank account, if it's a million or two million or three million or 20 million dollars, at the end of this life, it all goes back into the box, just like Monopoly. It's gonna be passed on to some other generation or some charity or some foundation. It all goes back in the box and what matters most is eternity. So it doesn't mean don't invest, but always invest with eternal eternity in mind. And then this is what Jesus says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That the bottom line with personal finances, the heart of the issue is the heart of man. The heart of the issue with personal finances is your heart and my heart. God is in not in need. He's not looking around planet Earth trying to get his personal finances in order. The scripture says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He's not in need. But what God desires or wants is a relationship with you and I. It's our heart. And oftentimes where our money flows, there our heart goes that money oftentimes can lead and direct the human heart. So Jesus says, where your money is, that's where your heart is going to be. Some of you guys in the room know exactly what I'm talking about. Remember that one time you bought that new car, and then all of a sudden your perspective on life shifted because your money is in that brand new car, and we even have a car in our, our garage that, you know, my, like my heart starts beating faster when I see the boys bring out the bikes from the garage because we already have a couple of scratches on the cars from the boys with their scooters and bikes. It's like your money's there, your heart follows that as well. Then Jesus says this. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, what does that have to do with money? I'm not really sure, but maybe somebody who's a lot smarter than me knows. But that was funny. Nobody laughed. <laughs> Pastors don't know everything. Sometimes people think they do. I'm sure it has something to do with money, but I'm not really sure what it is. But then I know what this verse says. Listen to this. It says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one 
and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Can we say that last phrase together? All of you in our video services, if you're watching online, you can do it out loud, out loud in Starbucks. Let's all say it together. You cannot serve both God and money. One more time. You cannot serve both God and money. See, Jesus talks about several relationships happening here. He gives us three characters. The three characters are God, money, and you and I. And he says that there is a specific relationship that we are to have with God and that we are to have with money. And you cannot live in such a way that you have two masters where you are simultaneously submitting to the will of finances and money and simultaneously submitting to the will of God. That the two are in opposition with one another. You will either give your best affection and your best attention to God or money. So here's the relational flow with finances. God ultimately is the authority. He's the master. You and I, we're the steward. We're the manager. And money is the slave. And now our job is to view money through the same lens that a master would view their slave. It's to realize that money is a tool to accomplish the will of the master. Money is a tool that is placed in your hands, in my hands, whether great or little. Money is a tool that is used to accomplish the will of the master. Another way of saying it, if you're taking notes, might be this, that money is a tool to build a rich lifestyle. Now, when I'm talking about lifestyle, I'm, I'm not talking about you know, the typical, if you have a 90-foot yacht and you can go on 30 vacations a year, and not that that's bad, but when I say rich lifestyle, I'm talking about the richness of your relationships and peace and joy in your life, to build a rich lifestyle that honors and pleases God. Because we know that if we have all the money in the world, if we have a full bank account and we can travel wherever we want, whenever we want, but the relationships and the heart condition in our life is not with peace and joy, then all of that stuff does not matter. So money becomes a tool in our hands to build a rich lifestyle that honors and pleases God. Here's the reality. Money is amoral. Somebody has said before, I've heard people quote the Bible erroneously or incorrectly to say that money is the root of all evil. The Bible never says that. The Bible says that the Love of money is the root of all evil. Money is a tool. It's amoral. It takes on the condition of whose hands or whose hearts it's in. It's kind of like this hammer here, right? Now, I am not very good with construction or anything mechanically. In fact, every time I try to pound on a nail, it like, it kind of bends it and does weird stuff. I'm like, not very good at this whole construction thing. See, this hammer though, it is a tool. And this tool could be used to build an incredible, beautiful building, but if it's in my hands, it's like a nail gone sideways. It can build nothing. It destroys the things that it touches. But if this money is in the hands of a great construction worker, in fact, let's welcome a construction worker to the stage. You can build a house with this hammer, couldn't you? Sure. Show me how to do it. Where am I supposed to hit the, the nail? On the top. Oh. That makes sense. That's good. 
you didn't even touch the nail. That's impressive. Every time I touch the nail, my fingers end up black and blue. That's awesome. Okay. <laughs> Let's give it up for Eric. Thank you. See, this tool could build a house in the hands of the right person. In the hands of the wrong person, it can destroy things. Same thing with money. Excuse me, that's a little bit more than I was expecting. See, money is a tool. And in the hands of the right person, it can build a rich lifestyle that honors and pleases God. But in the hands of the wrong person, it can destroy. And and there are four categories when it pertains to money. In fact, maybe you've heard this before. But money does not make a person godly or ungodly. There are godly people who are wealthy, and there are godly people who are poor. Some of the most godly people are individuals that you meet in far-off, distant countries that live below the poverty line, but the entirety of their lives, they're working on farms, they're, they're scrapping to pay bills, but they are some of the most godly people you will ever meet. Godly and poor is the first category. God, or godly and wealthy and godly and poor, as these come on the screen. And then the, the other third and fourth category would be ungodly and wealthy and ungodly and poor. Some of the most ungodly people that you meet have lots of money, and some really ungodly people have no money. Money is amoral. It takes on the condition of whose hands it's in. And in extreme, in either direction, lots and lots and lots and lots of money or a little money will reveal the condition of our hearts. And some of us, maybe we've been born into a family that struggled with poverty, we may have been taught to have an aversion towards finances. And that aversion towards finances is causing us to live less than the life that God wants us to live. Others of us, maybe we've been born into a family that did very well financially, And we have an aggression towards finances. What I want to do is I want us to get rid of our aversion, get rid of our aggression, and to realize that money is a tool. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You make the money in your hands the slave to build a lifestyle that honors and pleases God, a rich lifestyle. So in the remaining time that we have together today, I want to talk to you about what it means to make money a slave or a tool in your life, to make it a slave or a tool to build a lifestyle that honors and pleases God. If you're taking notes, the first thing that we can do with money is to use money to get wisdom. To use money to get wisdom. Listen to what Proverbs, the wisest man to ever walk the planet would say about money. He would say this, wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it cost you all you have, he says that it is worth emptying your entire bank account to get wisdom. Because wisdom has a return for the rest of our lives. Money has limitations of what it can accomplish, but Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, says use your money, leverage it to get wisdom because that wisdom will pour over into your relationships, It will pour over into the way that you go about work. It'll pour over into marriage. It'll pour over into dating. It will change your life if you get wisdom. Get understanding. Esteem her. She will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. When you have a dollar that passes through your hands, you can use that dollar to build wisdom. There are more books written on marriage, on dating relationships, on personal finances, on, on all of the subjects that we typically lack wisdom 
And because of technology, we have greater access to education and wisdom and training than any other time in human history. And for $8, oftentimes $5 on Amazon, you can click on a website, go to amazon.com, read reviews of books, and you can, even in our lobby here at South Bay Church on our North San Jose campus, we have all of these books that are there for you at, at like price value that you can buy and gain wisdom. And instead of getting two cups of coffee, or maybe if you have the ability to get two cups of coffee and a book, you can do both. But instead of prioritizing, as the scripture says, evil in our lives, we prioritize a life that honors and pleases God. We can use money to gain wisdom or to get wisdom. When I look back over the course of my life, I have literally invested tens of thousands of dollars in conferences and mentorships and books. Oftentimes that investment would feel like I was going beyond my ability to get around a leader or a mentor that was beyond where I was in my life. But every dollar invested in wisdom in my life has paid a return. And so much of what you see at South Bay Church and what God is doing is as a result of some leaders behind the scenes being willing to use resources to get wisdom so that we can grow in our leadership and our ability to make a difference. What's the area of your life currently that you lack wisdom? What is it? Is it dating? Is it finance? Is it marriage? Is it relationships? Is it work? Is it conflict? Use the money in your hands. Leverage it to get wisdom. Point number one Use resources, use money as a tool to gain wisdom or get wisdom. Number two, this is very, very significant. We can use money to make memories and gain experiences. We can use money to make memories and to gain experiences. I have a mentor of mine. He's almost 60 years old. He's one of the godliest men I know. He has three uh, grown sons who are my age. I'm good friends with his oldest son. Both my mentor and his son are pastors who helped South Bay get started before we ever existed. They invested in our church financially. Last year, I had the opportunity to go to Laos, Singapore, Malaysia, and Thailand with my mentor. And many of the, uh, the bus rides and the plane rides, I'm sitting next to him with a book open, just asking him question after question after question. And one of the things that is so unusual about this man is the relationship that he has with his grown children. Most of the relationships I see between fathers and mothers and their grown children are strained and many times broken. And I said to him, tell me some of the things you've done to invest in your children in a way that makes them want to go on a mission trip with you to Asia when they're 31 years old. And I remember sitting there with my journal open. He said, let me tell you a couple things that I did, did, just practical things I've done along the way. He said, each year when my kids would go from one to two to two to three, all the way up until they left our home, every year I would write them a note. And in that note, I would express my love to them, what I saw in them, the characteristics and the attributes and the strengths and how I had seen them grow that last year. And they saved those notes. And now when they turn 18 and they leave the house, all of these notes, that child, that son, has these 18 notes from their father expressing value and love to their kid. He said, one of the other strategic things that we decided to do is we decided to pull a portion of our money back for experiences with our boys. And he said, we told our three boys that when they graduate from high school, they can go anywhere in the country that they want to go. And we're going to give them one week alone with dad 
And he said, this was an expensive endeavor for us. We had to invest thousands of dollars, but one of the boys decided to go hiking in Washington. The other decided that he would go on a hunting trip. And then the third son somehow decided that he would go to Scotland. And the, the older two boys said, it wasn't anywhere in the world, it was anywhere in the States. But the youngest said, no, it was anywhere in the world. So they <laughs> still trying to decide that. But the memories that were made on these trips, and one of the other examples, he said, I had to save thousands of dollars, he said, but I took my boys when they, when they were full grown, when they were married, and one of my sons had kids on the way, I took my three sons to Europe, to the fields of Normandy, where American soldiers had laid down their lives for the freedom of our country, and I gave each of my sons a Bible that I had been writing in for 10 years each with notes and prayers, and I handed it to them on the fields of Normandy and commissioned them with the legacy of our family and said, young men have given their lives for your freedom, and now I'm commissioning you with the love of God that you will build a heritage for our family and for the world to know the love of Jesus. And all, all three of the sons and dad were just weeping on this field. A father who had leveraged his resources to make memories and to get experiences. Some of you are single and you have freedom. You have freedom in ways that married people don't have freedom and people with kids definitely don't have freedom. That you have the ability with your life, whether you choose to be married or don't choose to be married down the road, you have the freedom right now to travel you have the freedom to gain experiences, to go on mission trips. Not that married people can't go on mission trips, but you have more freedom now. And if you will leverage it, it will give you a richer lifestyle that later will reward you. I think back before I was married, how many trips I was able to go on to Ecuador, to spend a summer in Cambodia before Stacy and I got married. That, that changed my life by taking resources and dumping them into experiences that would give me a rich lifestyle. I think about somebody from our church that started an iPhone app and had freedom, and they used their resources to kind of shut down operations for a couple months, moved out of their house, and traveled the world. That they used the money that was in their hands to gain experiences and to make memories. And then third, we can use resources to buy time. We can first use money to gain wisdom or get wisdom. Second, make memories and gain experiences. And third, we can use money to buy time. Listen to this verse. It says, better to be a nobody and yet have a servant than to pretend to be somebody and have no food. Now, is the Bible advocating slavery in this passage of scripture? No, what the Bible is saying is that some people are out to impress. They're out to impress with their car, with their house, with the way that they dress, and oftentimes people who on face value appear very wealthy have no margin with their finances behind the scenes. And Solomon is saying, you choose one over the other, that this is better than the other. It is better to have someone who works and you have more freedom that you can pay to do a job than to appear wealthy and to be so strapped that you don't have any margin with your time, with your resources, with any other area of your life. And what you can do over the course of time, and what Stacy and I have done in 10 years of marriage, is our income has increased. We have used more money, not to continue to increase our standard of living, but to buy ourselves more margin with our time. Not that, again, not to make you feel bad if God blesses you and you get a bigger house or a nicer car. You don't need to feel guilty about that. But what I'm saying is, oftentimes it's a values choice. And you can choose the freedom or you can choose a better standard of living to impress somebody you don't even know, 
and the choice is yours. I have a, um, there's a lady that comes to our house, and some of you, this is going to trip your mind. It's a different way of thinking. She comes to our house once a month to clean the entire house. Stacy, my wife, would love it if she would come once a week. And she comes, and this lady does an incredible job. We pay her a great wage, and every time she works in our house, at the end of it, we say thank you to her. And you know what she says back to us? She says, no, thank you. Thank you for giving me resources to be able to invest in the lives of my family. And it's this, it's this beautiful display of God's blessed us. Now we can buy time and bless somebody else with the freedom that we have been given over the course of time. We've been able to do more of that with our lives. And some of you are sitting there thinking, I can't even pay my bills, let alone hire somebody to come work at my house. But maybe there's some trade-offs that you can make. When Stacy and I found out we were pregnant with our first son, almost six and a half years ago, seven years ago, we made a decision that Stacy would stop working. We owned a home at that time, and we moved out of that home and began to lease that home and moved into a smaller home and decreased our standard of living so that we could have more freedom. I'm not saying that every one of you needs to do that. I'm just giving you a different way to think that money is given to you as a resource and if you will use it wisely, you can buy margin in your life for the most important components and relationships. There was a time a couple of weeks ago where we had somebody come to our house, they had cut our grass, uh, and, and again, I, like, I suck at cutting grass. I would break the lawnmower every freaking time if I did it. Our lawn would look horrible. It would be really, really bad, and it would take me about 10 times as long to do it as the guy that does it. And there was a day a couple weeks ago, it was a beautiful, sunny day on a Friday on my day off, and it was like mid-70s, and the gal that cuts our grass, or the guy that cuts our grass and the gal that cleans our house had both come and done the work and we had paid them a great wage for the work that they had done and I was able to spend the day on the beach with my kids in Monterey and invest in those relationships. And if we will take what has been given to us, maybe sometimes it's taken $15 to hire a babysitter so that you can take a spouse out on a date and all it is is like one trip to Target for like 30 minutes so that you can remind her or him that you love him and you wanna be in relationship with him. But sometimes, we get so strapped, we continue to increase our standard of living instead of thinking, how can I use resources to buy margin and to buy time with my life? And then lastly, but certainly not least, we can use money to build friendships or to build relationships. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 16, verse 9. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Such a puzzling verse of scripture. I should go out and just buy my friends. Jesus is saying, everybody, in other words, wants to eat dinner with the guy who's gonna pay for their steak, right? And wants to hang out with the guy that's gonna buy them coffee. And instead of looking at the money that's in my hands just as a way to increase my standard of living, and not again that that's bad, but I can use the resources in my hands to invest in the most important relationships in my life. I think about my boys who are six and four years old. They have uh, three sets of grandparents because my parents are divorced. They get so many toys that we don't know what to do with them. We have like walls of toys at our house and it's not that we, like, we're rolling in the dough, it's just that every grandparent, every aunt and uncle buys a, you know, a, a truck or a, another costume for the kid, and it's like, it's, you know, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and you know what happens? 
we take, every couple of years, we take what was given to us at Christmas and birthdays a few years ago. We put them in boxes, we give them away, or we sell it. And you know what? Our boys can't remember the toys that they were playing with two years ago or three years ago. And there's a difference in my, my way of thinking that is shifting the way I see money in regards to my family. That I could take $20 in my entertainment budget and I could use it to buy toys for my kids that they will not remember, or I could use that $20 over the course of a month and take them to Krispy Kreme or McDonald's if that's your, you know, your desired destination. Or I can use it to take them and buy them bagels and sit around a table and, and laugh with my kids and then take them to a park for free afterwards. That that money invested in the relationships can enrich in the quality of the most important relationships in my life. Some of the best memories in my life are memories over meals that I have paid for somebody else's meal to invest in them or to love them or ask questions about them. And those relationships over the course of time have enriched or enriched my life. See, you can, Jesus is saying you can use the money that has been given to you not for temporal things, but for eternal things. That every time you invest in a friendship or a relationship, you are investing in an eternal being. That's why Jesus says don't store up for yourself treasures on earth, but store up and look because eternity matters most. So could you imagine the difference that this would make in our lives. And so many of us feel strapped and we're gonna talk about a great resource that you can put into action. But if, if over the course of my life, I would take that other 80% and I would look at it as a tool to build relationships, to build memories, to get experiences, to gain wisdom, the difference that it would make in my life and your life if we would do this. I, I told Stacy, my wife, between services, I was thinking about this. Every one of my mentors that has invested in my life, and they're in their 50s and 60s, I have like all these 50s and 60-year-old friends. For some reason, like, I, ha I do a better job hanging out with all the 60-year-old guys than the 30-year-old guys, because I just love to soak in the wisdom from their lives. Every one of my mentors that has done well with their ministry and their marriage thinks like this, that at the end, their kids and their grandkids want to be around them. They understand that money is a tool to build a lifestyle that honors and pleases God. So all across the room, everybody listening to the message, all of our services, we have people at all different walks and their journey financially. We have some people that come to our church that are very wealthy by human standards. And we have some people that struggle, even just to pay for the food. But I think that no matter where you are in that journey, if you will open your eyes to a new paradigm, a new lens, it can get you out of some of the rat race and the busyness. I think it's interesting that, that the average family in poverty in the United States has two flat screen HD TVs. It's a values choice. It's saying, if I have a little, what am I gonna use that little for? And I love this proverb that we forgot on the front end. Listen to this. Proverbs ten sixteen says, the earnings of the godly enhance their lives, but evil people squander their money on sin. You can use money to build a rich lifestyle that honors and pleases God, but you have to realize that it is a tool which is amoral and will take on the characteristics of your life depending on what you choose to do with it. 
You either use it to destroy or you use it to build. The choice is yours. Now, there's one last thing I want to just say as we conclude our time together. You and I have an incredible opportunity this week to put into action what we've talked about today. In fact, as it pertains to relationships and friendships, there are people in your sphere of influence, in our relational world, friends, family members, coworkers, and neighbors, that God has placed you in their lives for a very specific purpose. And this week is the week leading up to Easter. It's the week that everything we do as a church is built upon. The message of Jesus is death and burial and resurrection that we believe because Jesus came, he was crucified and resurrected, that there is hope for all humanity, every man, woman, boy, rich and poor, young and old, that because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that forgiveness can be offered to humanity, that we can have a relationship with God. And Easter is the Sunday, not just that we celebrate it, but it's the Sunday that more people come to church than any other Sunday of the year. And so just by a personal invitation this week, you can literally shape and impact another person's eternity who is in your sphere of influence. And so maybe the application for the message today is for you to buy a cup of coffee, to buy lunch, to hang out with somebody in your life, to buy freedom so that you can hang out with some family member, some friend, some coworker, some neighbor that God has placed in your sphere of influence to bring them next week with you to one of our six services on Easter. When we look back over the course of our church, literally the thousands of lives that have been changed through this church, so many of the journeys spiritually can be traced back to a personal invitation and many of them can be traced back to a personal invitation that started on Easter that they were willing to give church and to give God a try. So this week, my challenge to you and to me and to all of us is to begin to look at our finances and our lives differently that it is given to us, a life is given to us as a tool to build the kingdom of God and the honor of God and the glory of God. And specifically, one of the applications for us this week could be that we would use our freedom, our time, our energy to invest in the life of another person to bring them to church with us next week here at South Bay for Easter Sunday as we kick off the Jesus Dilemma series. So, money is a tool to build a lifestyle, a rich lifestyle that honors and pleases God. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you today that you're a good God and that you are gracious, that you've provided for our lives, even provided that we would be able to be here in this moment together. And I pray that as we think about our lives, we think about what you've given to us, help us to realize that our lives can be a conduit. Our lives literally can be used by you to shape and to change the world. And every dollar, every moment, every relationship, everything that has been placed into our hands is there for a reason. And we know that your eyes are scanning the earth, looking to and fro for people who are fully surrendered and committed to you, that would give their lives to you, that you might come alongside and strengthen them. And I pray that you would find in us, in our church and in our people, a group who are, who's available to the life you want us to live, to let you use our resources and our time and our energy to impact somebody else's eternity. May these truths that we've discovered today 
literally change our paradigm as it pertains to finances. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.